This week on Merchants of Change, we talk with Portia Jenkins. Portia is a three-sport athlete turned educator turned sales professional. Today, Portia is the manager of commercial sales development for Trip Actions. Portia spent a lot of time leading a team of BDRs, and she's got great advice for new sellers. Here she is, Portia Jenkins. I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How are you, Portia? I am fantastic, JR. How's the day going so far? It's going great. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, really excited to have you. I'm not sure if you had a chance to hear, hear any of our episodes, but it's a show that we really build for new sellers and, and really people that might be considering a career shift into technology sales. Um, and you know, most of our guests are, are former athletes who have found success in sales. So if it's all right, I'd love to start with, with your sports background a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your experience growing up playing sports. Yeah, so I was a three-sport athlete um, all through junior high, through high school, and then eventually played intercollegiate volleyball. Um, and that was the one that you weren't on the team just yet, but I wanted the more of a college experience. But early on, I knew sports was a huge part of my life. It was a way to escape, you know, kind of all the day-to-day things, but it also taught me what I think are the intangible things that um, have ultimately helped me to be successful today. Um, also, just the camaraderie I have for my teammates, and those are my lifelong friends that I've still to this day have huge bonds with and war stories about those series that we never got over or the one the wins that we had. So for me, having that opportunity to build through sports has been uh, monumental in terms of like who I am as a person. I love that. I, I was a three sport athlete myself growing up and you don't see it a lot anymore, no. right? Like there's a lot yeah. of people specializing at such a young age. Um, so I always love people that played multiple sports. You, you, do you have any like favorite memories uh, or your single favorite memory of, of playing sports? Like what's your number one top memory? <laughs> I remember that I found out that I wasn't a runner. I d- decided to join cross country. <laughs> and I was like, you know, in the off season, I was a basketball player committed through and through to be ba- a basketball player. And my coach is like, in the off season, you have to do another sport. And I'm like, well, what else the sports are going on right now? And they're like, oh, cross country needs needs people. And I'm like, okay. So I run my first race and I like twist my ankle on a gopher hole. And I just remember hopping all the way to the finish line and thinking, I'm going to finish this. However, I'm not going to be back tomorrow. Um, is volleyball <laughs> spot still available? <laughs> and the coach is like, yeah, absolutely. And I became a volleyball player that day, committedly in high school. And it ended up working out really perfectly. But I just remember that day, I was like, you're not a runner. And that's okay. And it, I just laughed about it because folks are just like, you, you 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 would think I would be, but I definitely was not. So that's the most funniest one for me that comes to mind. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Those, <laughs> what, I, what, what I've always found, I'm not, I can't run like more than like 400 meters, right? Like the, the fast, <laughs> the fast switch muscles don't, do they just don't mm-hmm. translate to mm-hmm. those long distance runs in any different, in, in any way. <laughs> not at all. Um, I learned it the hard way. 
Yeah, you you made a comment, and I totally agree with you. Like my my favorite part of playing sports my whole life growing up was the teammates. Do you have any? Do you have any uh, like personal favorite teammates that you had growing up? Yeah, so I met my best friend actually playing on that same team that same year um, in volleyball, and we ended up being three sport athletes together. And she was what I call like my equalizer. Like I was definitely someone who was tough, but also, you know, I needed someone to also help keep me in check. And I think she had, she was that then. And I knew like I could count on her to like look at her and she'll be like, stop or green light. Um, and so I knew then like right away that we would be best friends forever because she was just so smart and just so even keel on most things. Everything I wasn't in those moments, she was. And I just thought we balanced each other out. Um, but again, like one of those moments came through sport. And if I didn't join the volleyball team after rolling my ankle, I don't know if we would have been best friends because we shared in those moments together, like after that, through everything else. So it was, it was kind of great. It was great. Nothing better than the friendships. She was the she was the yin to your yang. We all oh, need yeah. that. I, oh yeah, still is to this day. I call her and she's same thing. Like, Mm-mm. or yes, that is an excellent choice, Portia. So it, it it was meant to be for sure. I love it. How, how would your teammates and coaches describe you from your playing days? Oh, I think there were two sides to me. Um, very much so. Uh, the player side of me, like in game situations, was tough. Like I wanted to win. I wanted us to be in practice, like going hard at it every single day. Like, what are you doing getting water right now? We need to be on the floor together, like getting after it. Like, what are you doing? But then there was the other side of me that was like off the court, wanting to have that unity, wanting to have that camaraderie. No matter if you were the freshman or you were the sophomore who were playing up on varsity, like I felt like it was important for those people to feel respected and a part of the team because I had been in those moments where you got brought up too soon and people were just not kind. And it really stunts your growth in terms of like you feeling a part of a team. So I think they would say like I was a tough cookie on the court, but I was definitely the go-to person that kept the team together. I love that. And I, and I, I don't even have to ask you, but that is... I'm sure translated to what you're doing now, which we'll oh, get yeah. into in a little bit. For sure. Every <laughs> single day, I'm just like, this is who you've always been. And I'm just so I happy that it. you've made it this far. <laughs> I love it. That's so awesome. You, you, you've got a really interesting background, different mm-hmm. than probably most of the folks that we've talked to. Um, and I personally, like, I love it. You started, you know, you had a, a retail sales position for Sprint. And then you were, you know, eight years, I think, as an educator. Um, and then you went to Gong, which is like, you know, famous, right? Like one of the, the best, you know, BDR organizations in the world. Um, can you talk, like, tell me a little bit about your path to that first sales job at Gong? Yeah, for sure. So it was kind of one of those things where obviously COVID hitting and it's kind of changing the landscape of how we all work every single day. And for me, like I was at that point where I had eight years of K through 12 teaching, but I also taught two years in college. I taught adults before I actually taught children. So during my master's in my kinesiology, getting my master's in kinesiology, I actually taught adults first. And so I had a taste of what it would be like to teach in that space. But then having COVID hit, and honestly, looking at how things were changing, it became pretty clear to me that, you know, as an educator, I was going to be on the front lines of this. And, you know, I wasn't prepared and felt like for my family's sake that that would be OK for me down the line. So I had to kind of do this reset of like, hey, when were you the next best happiest in your career? And that made you feel super fulfilled. And I it immediately went back to that sprint job. 
because I got that job fresh out of college. Like that was my first real job in like outside of going to school and having the, you know, work study stuff. So for me, the reason why I didn't stay in it was because it was fast tracking me into an area where I didn't feel like I should be first. And so when it came time to rechoose, it was kind of like, okay, well, working in Silicon Valley already, I have a partner who's already in sales. So I hear about the day to day. I've met these people in some regards. So I'm like, how can I make this transition and do it in the most awful way that'll set me up for success? And so my player in, immediately went in, it's like practice, preparation. So how do I do that? So I went out, I like Googled all of the best boot camps that you could potentially ever work for or work with. And I was, a 10 week boot camp came up in one of those nights of searching. And it was like, hey, we, we take people from non-traditional backgrounds. Here I am a teacher wanting to make this transition. And we help them understand the baseline life skill sets to be a BDR. And additionally, we have these opportunities where you get to do interview coaching and all those kinds of things. And I'm like, this is it. And after that, it was like, I'm going to do this 10 weeks. I'm going to commit to this as I transition out of my education role. So I was still teaching and finishing up my educational career while doing this boot camp. And in October of that same year, I had a job at Gong. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, you know, uh, the boot camps are amazing. Obviously, we're, we're an option for one of those. But I think yeah. anybody that is is serious about this switch needs to – that's a exactly. really good foundational. And they're all great, like all of them, right? Um, yeah, so that's awesome. Sure. Um, and I love, by the way, like I, I always think like sales has a lot of parallels between teaching, right? Like – at the end of the day, great sales reps are educators because they're educating the customer on the problem that they solve, how they solve it uniquely, and you know, becoming a subject matter expert in their technology. But obviously, there's challenges. What were some of the challenges you faced during that kind of course correction from education to sales? Yeah, <clears throat> I think because I did it virtually, it made it a little harder. Um, I think if I would have had it the reverse and been in office, I don't think I would have had much more, I don't want to necessarily call it struggles because I think there were teachable moments. I think that we all find out a lot about ourselves when we're faced with new challenges. Um, but I think not being on the floor with actual people doing the work or hearing those little nuances and having to be siloed, it made it a lot harder to like ramp up as fast as I wanted to because now I'm like I'm listening to gong calls or I'm, you know, reading all the books, I'm listening to all the sales leaders and it's like noise instead of just being this streamlined path to like, this is what you need to do and this is how you do it. It was like I was pulling from different areas. Um, and I think that as a first time BDR was like the struggle because it was like, well, this guy's getting 300% and this one is saying this is the right path to get to this part. Like, so just having more of a streamlined process was probably my struggle because I'm a curious person. I want to know how everybody's winning and I want to figure out in those wins, what can I pull from it and make it my own? And I think it just was a little overwhelming considering that I was also working from home and not having that in office experience. I, I love that you said that um, because you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in learning through osmosis, right? Like yep. just walking, walking around on a sales floor, you have to try not to learn, right? So there's a yeah. lot that, that happens just being around your peers and leadership. Um, so you made a, a big career change, right? Are there, you, you did the academy and the boot camp, which I love. Are there any other like strategies or tools that you'd recommend to someone that's in your spot? Cause we have a ton of them that are doing oh, yeah. the same switch. For, for sure. 
as you mentioned, education has a lot of parallels to sales. And I think you really understanding your value in whatever you've done outside of this sales world is super important because you're going to go into these calls and people are going to be like, this is very non-traditional. And it's like, actually, there's a lot of parallels to education and sales and not just even in the BDR space. We think about customer success. We think about working with different stakeholders. We think about, you know, what it means to upsell, cross-sell. You do all of that in teaching. And so when it comes to when you come into a transitional space, really think about your value and how it aligns with the role that you want and be able to talk about that in that kind of way. Like, because you may be educating them on your value in a way that they've never thought about it, but also just being prepared to not just tell people who you are, but show them and how valuable asset you can be because you are a company coming from that space. I love it. I love it. The coaching we give them is... You have to tell your story in the context of this new role, right? It's, it's one thing to say, it's one thing to say you're resilient. It's another thing to say you're resilient. And here's an example. And it's like best practices. I'm resilient. Here's an example. And here's why it matters in this new role, right? Like that's the, that's the full cycle that you want to really go through. And, exactly. and you, you lock that in on education, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, we and, and I, I have a feeling that we share uh, an opinion on this, but I, I battle. We battle with sometimes our customers, and, and we see it on LinkedIn all the time about companies that are shying away from candidates who don't have formal BDR sales experience. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, we think I think it's short sighted, right? And we, like you said, we tell our our candidates to. Tell a story about your background and why they actually are qualified for the job. Um, and you talked a little bit about you know how you created a compelling story about your background and experience. What is your feeling in general about that kind of belief of like, hey, we need to hire people with with BDR experience? You know, I it would be short sighted to believe that that's not the case because I do think that there's something to be said about someone who's invested their time into really honing their craft and building that you know, experience through this BDR space. But I also think it's short-sighted to not think that someone who's coming from a different viewpoint can't contribute to that. Because the thing about sales, and I think you mentioned this in one of your podcasts I was listening to previously, like salespersonship can be taught. The intangibles are the things that essentially people learn through experiences that are not all the same. Because unless you're hitting 150% plus across the board, we have room for growth here and we need some new synergy and some new mindsets and some new ideas. And typically that comes from people who come from different backgrounds and or have a different viewpoint that may not be represented. So often enough, often I tell people is that, you know, when we look at sales reps and their potential, we often have to look beyond their work experience, and actually talk to them about what's happening. And anybody that's smart enough and like I just mentioned, will be able to paint a story and make those connections for people to be able to show and tell them, excuse me, more about who they are and how that fits their organization. And I think that's the difference. Um, making the difference doesn't necessarily mean bad. And difference is, in most cases, the thing that you need to help move things along, not only from a BDR's perspective, but from a cultural perspective. Diversifying the thinkers in the room truly brings you an opportunity to grow as a company, I believe. I love it. I love it. Um I, I I I couldn't agree more. By the way, that's amazing. Um, we we I'm really excited to get your opinion on this. So um, we we have people that are kind of coming through our process, and and usually you know I think we do a pretty good job of coaching them through the interview process. And um, you know typically what happens because we don't do exclusive 
exclusive agreements with our customers. So typically our candidates are getting multiple, multiple at bats and then multiple offers. Right. Um, and, and when they come back to us and they say, okay, here's my three offers, right? They're talking a lot about base salary, variable comp benefits, hybrid versus remote or whatever, right? In your mind, and you landed at an awesome place to start. What are some of the other factors that are really important when these, these career switchers and these trans transitioning athletes should consider when they're evaluating who they're going to work for first? Yeah, I think what I thought about when my first BDR role was completely different when I went to my last one or when I transitioned to trip actions, for example. I cared about the money, the OTE first, because let's just be honest, we're moving here because there's earn, there's money to be made. But also yeah. the remote thing wasn't an option for me, even though that would have been a top reason. It wasn't an option. Benefits for sure. But as I look at it now, it was short-sighted because when it comes to the things that are, ma are important to me, I care about enablement. I care about my ability to grow and it being an actual built out structure. I also care about obviously the money, but when it comes to stack ranking those things of importance, I obviously want a good salary, but I also want to make sure that I'm able to grow within a company to continue to increase the salary. So if you start out with a high dollar and then there's no growth opportunities, you're going to stay the same for a while. So what I always say is like, you should always have a pro or cons list in any job that you take, right? What are the best things about this company that you like? What are the worst? And you're just like, eh, not going to work. But what are most important things to you? That's all above everything else. What's important to you and what do each of these companies bring and what don't they bring? And write them. I think as much as we are interviewing candidates, they're all, they should also be interviewing us. And I think that's how you know and identify what's the place and the space for you because you're going to be spending a significant amount of time at this organization, whether it's in person or virtually. And if it does not align with who you are as a person, no money in the world could ever convince you to stay and it's never going to make you happy. In the short term, you're going to have happiness, but eventually you're going to say like, what am I doing here? I, I And I think you'll appreciate this. I also think a really important uh, characteristic of that first job is who you're working for, right? Like, yes. is, is that yes. somebody you're going to learn from? Is that somebody 100%. who's going to you're going to vibe with on a day because that's the person that you're reporting to that that's really responsible for your success. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that also impacts your growth. Right. And, totally. uh, and I, I, I talked to, we talked to our candidates and I talked to them specifically and I say like, if the vibe does not feel good to you, do not continue on. Like don't work for a company just because it's cool work for a company because it actually has aligns with your values and you would be proud to say that you work there. And one thing I also did not say in that first part was addressable market. Work for a company that's going to allow that product to be sold so you can continue to talk to multiple people across multiple industries. Because that's going to give you a wider viewpoint of being able to talk to folks across all levels of business. And that's what's going to ultimately hone your skill sets. When you have that level of business acumen, you can't be touched. Can't be. I love it. Um we, we get a lot of kids and, and athletes that come into our kind of process and, and they're like, you know, we're, they're taking their first BDR job. They're carrying the water bottles, building that mm -hmm. foundation you just talked about. But they're all initially, I think the thought is, OK, I'm going to be a BDR. Then I want to get into a closing role. Right. You and, and, and what I what I always emphasize with them. Hey, there's other paths. Right. You can go into customer success. You can go into you know, account management and these other things. 
and you can go into leadership, which is kind of the path that you've taken. Um, how did that happen? Like, and what's it been like for you now that you're, you're leading people? Yeah. Um, so I kind of always knew that this is what I wanted, right? I going in, it was like, I never had the real conviction to be like, I want to be that. It was like, that's the natural path that people are supposed to take. Right. And for me, it didn't feel like the right path. And as my, as my history dictates, it's like, Hey, I don't mind taking a chance on myself to learn and, or get an opportunity to try something new that is going to ultimately help me in either direction. But I knew that I wanted to get back to the coaching. I wanted to get back to helping people figure out who they are in a space, helping people develop all the things that I did as a teacher and a coach all these years is now the same thing now in sales. Right. But now I get to these are adults once again that I get to do that with. Um, and I felt more at home with that opportunity. Not to say that sales will never be a path for me because I was actually presented with both literally on the same day. And they wow. both were in front of me. And it was like, what do you want to do? And it the first instance was people. I want to lead people. I want to help people grow. I think that's my path. I think that feels like home and that will make me happy in this space. Um, so as as I look at sales leaders, I, I I admire them a lot and I definitely feel like it's important to have a company that also still will allow that path to be present in a couple of years if I choose to shift or make changes. If that's something I thought about and maybe a possibility in the future, make sure it exists at the company that you currently work for. I would suggest that too. Um, but push yourself to really think about what you care about for the long term. Don't go down the traditional path if that's not really what you see. You can create a path for yourself because it'll happen. Opportunities will knock. And when you're good, it will knock for you. You don't even have to go look for it. It'll find you. So just be open to it. I love it. I love it. We're, we're Now we're going to give some, some anybody who's interviewing at Trip Actions is going to get a little inside baseball because we, we really, <laughs> I'm so excited to get your perspective on like what good looks like for BDRs, right? Yeah. Um, so if you think about some of the best BDRs that you've worked with, can you describe how you saw them approach the job? Yeah. Yeah. I think it lay, they lead with curiosity. You know, these are folks who, who are constantly looking to refine their skill sets. They're not people who, who rest on their laurels, so to speak. Like they're always looking for ways to improve. They literally attach themselves to the best people in the company and not in like a, I'm going to be inauthentic, but because they actually want to learn and they're taking what they're learning and they're applying it. Because it's one thing to read a book and it's one thing to have the conversations, but it means absolutely nothing if you can't actually apply it. And I think the best BDRs tend to be those that are curious and want to actually go out and do that. Um, and they also have the best energy. Like they they want to come in every day. And I'm not saying you have to be like jacked up every day, but it's just something about their presence makes everybody around them better. Um, and that to me is what I look for in a BDR. And I tell people, I want people who are coachable, who are competitive and who have probably some of the best energy possible in it. You, you can be the quiet person because you can still contribute to the team, but people are going to you and trying to figure out what is it that you have that's helping you be successful. Or you can be the loud mouth that helps rally everybody and get them going. Gladys got on the phone. People hear you though, and they figure out like, either you want to be like that or you don't, but you know, you, you have like a part. And so when I look at a team, they don't always look the same. I don't want them to. I don't want them all to perform the same because I want us to all contribute to this organization and this this team in an authentic way that helps us all be better and learn from each other. I love that. It's so true. Every every team I think of that I've ever led had a different personality. It's 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 so true. And it's in the personality of the team 
is the leader first, but then everybody else that, that contributes. Yeah. Um, did, it, did anyone, by the way, did anyone pop, t- pop into your head when I said best BDR that you've ever worked with? Like, I, I don't want to yeah. put you in a tough position. Yeah, I have two, actually. I have one from my previous team um, that also came from an education background. And she was fantastic because how she looked at the job was from a lens of how do I make this better? How do I have better conversations? How do I go find the information that's going to stick with this persona? How do I, and was very meticulous about what she did. And it made her such a, like, she was a sponge that was able to then go pour into other people. Right. And that to me is like what it's about. It's like, I don't want to necessarily have all the success for myself. I want to be successful. However, I want to help inspire and help other people grow right and she did such a good job of that and i look forward to just seeing her continue to blossom into the leader that she is already and then there's one most recently that i found it's just like this quiet leader that has like this stoic approach to things but it's so intelligent you can just when you talk to him it's he's not giving you lip service he's giving you the information that you need and that you want and he's constantly trying to evolve each and every day and i i like their very polar personalities but their goals and the way that they get to the end goal is the same in terms of their drives. And I, and I just, I love it. That's so cool. And and it's so true. It's not what, there's not one thing that's right. It it, it can look different for everybody. I have to imagine you have probably BDRs that join your team, Portia, that are like, I want to be, I want to be a rep as as quickly as possible. What do you you have those types of people? What do you have them focus on as a leader? Yeah. I think the biggest thing is tailoring their expectations because, listen, growth happens in different rates. And I think the first thing you have to do is have that honest conversation. Like, listen, before we both commit to this journey together, (laughs) we got to be realistic, right? We shoot for the long game. And let's just say the long game is what we're going to make this goal. And if anything, great, because of how you put in your efforts makes that shorter. That's awesome. But I want to tailor your expectations because if you don't do that initially, it will create either not this transparent, non-direct conversation that you're chasing something. And when it doesn't happen, now it becomes a morale shift. Now it's, they have, they don't distrust in the company and the person who got me here is, and you don't want to do that. So often I start with a very candid conversation and I understand what their goals are. And I say, before we sign, like not after, before, just to make sure we're on the same page here, um, that this is the expectation, this is the likelihood. But if it happens because you come in curious, you're coachable, you're, com- you're competitive, and you show up every single day as a professional that's doing a really good job and is trying to be the learner and implement those things, you can potentially make that shorter. But that's up to you. Your growth is in your hands, essentially, in that way. Yep. 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 That's one, one phenomenal kind of aspect of sales is you're, you're in the driver's seat every single day. It's on you. Yep. Accountability is huge. And you don't, and you don't get that in very many professions. And I think leaning into that and making sure they understand, like you truly control this. Like, so when it comes to the opportunity wasn't provided to me, it was like, were you ready for the opportunity? Did you contribute to being ready for the opportunity? And then when you say that to people, most folks who are mature enough will say, I could have probably done this better. But then you may have some that say like, no, you guys didn't give that to me. And those how you that's how you know who's who, right? If you can yep. take that mindset and have them really come to that point, that's when you know what, what kind of rep you have. We had a huge sign on our sales floor that said, no victims, right? You're mm-hmm. not a victim. No victims, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You need to lose that mentality if you're going to go and have success in sales. Um 
another big part of the the kind of BDR role, in my opinion, the best BDRs I've seen have unbelievable relationships with the AEs that they work with, right? How, how are you coaching up your BDRs to work with their account executives? Yeah, I've seen it both sides. I've experienced it both sides of being having a really great experience where we were, we were, it wasn't necessarily friends. We were professional colleagues that respected each other and we were equal partners. And I think that's the key to a really good relationship because we know that our goal is to for sure get to a point where we're helping each other reach this mutual goal that we have set. Our revenue goals and targets are contingent upon each other. So we're not competing here. But also I think the worst ones put BDRs in this lesser than position. And that totally. to me is the worst thing you can possibly do. And I and I don't blame AEs for that. I also say that reps are responsible for not allowing that to happen and also not seeing themselves as lesser than. Because often I hear folks say, oh, I'm just a BDR. And I'm like, one of the starting points of revenue generating kind of functions and oh, uh, that's big deal. A large you're portion the face, of most you're the face of the company. You're the first conversation that they get. You are super <laughs> important. So, so <laughs> we're like uh, lean into that, and it's okay to go to a meeting and say like, "Hey, I need some support." But it's also important that you establish yourself as a professional because if you're not showing up prepared, if you're not showing up as a person who's an equal partner, they're going to treat you the less than. So there's two sides of it. And I definitely have experienced both sides, but the best relationships that I've seen and one I'm coaching to now is going to be of equal partnership, collaborative. How can I help you? How can we help each other? But also how can we do this successfully and efficiently so we can repeat this and continue to build? It's, it's, I always find it wild when an AE takes that perspective of lesser than when they look at a, a BDR or an SDR. And I'm like, you know, I, you have to remind them sometimes, hey, like that was you like two years ago. Like, don't forget where you came from. Right. Like, that's, yeah. And I think if you can get someone that's self aware and then that'll usually make them click back to realize, like, all right. You know, this is a this is a person I need to work with, not someone who works for me, right? Correct, correct. And it's a support it's a support system because if you're if you're doing the pipeline generation yourself in the sales side of it, anybody that's supporting you in that, it's extra support, right? You're also having an opportunity to coach and to be a peer mentor because you're working alongside this person. So if you have best practices that have helped you evolve into the sales rep that you are, and you're passing that on to them, that only accelerates their growth. Right. And that only gives them an opportunity to have a viewpoint and a, also a, a mentor to ask these questions to help make their jobs a little bit better and make them more efficient. In return, it's still helping you do that. So I think that we have to look at it as a collaborative partnership that we have an equal goal at the end of the day. And if you do that and you have that mutual respect, both sides will work harder for the other personally is what I believe. Teamwork makes the dream work. hundred <laughs> percent. Absolutely. Absolutely. So slight change of topic here. Um, mm-hmm. We work with a lot of NCAA student athletes, right? And, and, and you know, the, the reality is, is that 50% of athletes are females, right? Um, and unfortunately, I think software specifically has done a really bad job where there's a lot of people that look like me, right? On sales floors across the country. Um, but for the women that are listening to this episode, that are considering a career in sales, is there any like different specific guidance that you would share with our female candidates and, and those females out there looking to break into the industry, Portia? Yeah, a couple things. I think networking is key. 
Um, there are organizations and thought leaders and folks that really give good perspective and, and also leadership and mentorships on this exact situation. I'm a part of an organization called Girls Club right now where I'm uh, in the last month of my managerial leadership program. And I, they have been so influential in even my today, my role I have today in different aspects of the business that I wouldn't have learned or had support in otherwise, right? So put yourself in situations where you're working with people that look like you or care to put people like you in any position and learn from them, like ask for help. There's mentorships out there that give you uh, partnerships with people who have been through all the things and could potentially be a voice for you to help navigate this space a little bit better. Because again, it's very siloed if you don't have, you know, that opportunity to have someone to lean on, right? Because most of our, our friends and they don't work in tech, you know, they don't know anything about our world. They just know the brand names of our companies. And that's so cool. But in terms of the little nuances that happen throughout, have no clue. So networking is going to be the first thing. Second thing, ladies, shoot your shot. The best thing somebody can tell you is no, because what no brings is actual opportunity to learn and grow of what you need to do. And two, it actually gives you an answer on whether, hey, you may not think that I'm prepared, but this may have not been the opportunity for me. Because I think there's so much power in no that we give that's typically negative that we should just flip that around. Take the shot, learn from the opportunity. Either you get the job or you don't ask for feedback because that's what's going to get you ready for the next job that may be for you. Um, I always say like, what ifs are, are worse than actual trying? Because what ifs are going to linger in your mind forever. Trying gives you an actual action and an actual complete thought about what it could potentially be. And when I look at my career, that's what it was. It's like, do you want to think about what it could have been versus go try it to actually have a solution or a conclusion? Um, so as you continue to navigate this space, lady listeners, um, <laughs> really align, really align yourself with people that you feel can give you that insight and people that may not like I one thing I love about Girls Club is that we have male mentors. We have people who have are in the space and we talk about these things about women don't show up to these roles or apply because they don't feel prepared. It's OK. Go apply for those jobs because 100 percent of the men will. Seventy two percent of us won't. And we have all the boxes checked. So shoot your shot, be confident, get an answer, ask for feedback and get you a mentor because it will change your life. I love that. The, I mean, and, the, and the data supports what you just said, right? Like if, if two, if a male and a female look at a job posting and they both have the same experience, the male is more likely to, to apply for that role, even if they aren't, they aren't, you know, suited for it than the female, right? And the other, mm -hmm. the other thing that, that we coach our, our female candidates on are, is negotiate, right? Some of them don't want to negotiate. You've got to realize your leverage, your value, and, and don't be afraid to push back when you get that offer, right? 80% of our job is pushing back as a BDM. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can't do that for your, you can do that on behalf of a company, but you can't do that on behalf of yourself. Something's wrong with that. So <laughs> what I say is that's that ownership and know your value and know your worth. Like if I'm going to fight for you every single day in the trenches, getting told no constantly on I'm going to fight for myself up front to make sure I'm being fairly compensated or what my needs are, are being addressed. And if you can't give me that, it's okay to walk away. It's scary times. It. Not going to say it's not, but it's okay to walk away. It is. It is definitely. A, by the way, if you ever write a book, I got the title for you. It's going to be called The Power of No. I'm, I'm stealing that. I love that. That's Listen, your new book. 
Thank you. Thank you. I've been thinking about that, but you know, we'll, we'll talk later about that. <laughs> uh, what, mentorship, so important, right? Are there any mentors that you've had that have a, have had an impact on your sales career? And, and what, what are the things you learned from them? Yeah, honestly, I have about four and that sounds like a lot, but they all are different parts of my life, right? I have my coach back when I decided to join volleyball. She was so tough. I was just like, I don't want to work for this lady. Like she is like, oh, not the right one. But she challenged me. That was the reason why I was like so challenged by her. And even to this day, like I can call her and then say something. And she challenged me to actually give her answers and to really think about the things that I was saying and doing. And it really made me more self-aware. Like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm okay. I would say that all the time. She's like, why are you just okay? And the reality was I wasn't just okay. I had great things happening, but I was minimizing those things. So like those little nuances are, are still with me to this day or those little um, little things that I like when my reps say it. I'm like, so what does that mean for you? And they're like, oh, well. And I'm like, oh, I'm Savannah of them right now because I used to get that happening to me. Um, Girls Club provided me with an amazing mentor who most recently helped me with negotiating. Um my most recent uh, salary renegotiation for a role that I had. And she was so influential in me understanding the best way to have that conversation down to the parallels of creating a spreadsheet to discuss my my role, what I was expected to do, what I was doing, how it compares, and just really talking through those what could be the tough questions they could ask and how to be able to have that conversation because I never had to renegotiate a contract. Like, or a salary, like this is new for me, right? Um, so get to get you someone who understands that world and understands that C-level, executive level conversations because if you're gonna be a frontline manager, you're gonna be told what to do often enough and not understand those insights. And sometimes people feel jaded by that. But when you have a perspective of what they're doing, it gives you a different kind of viewpoint of how to manage it and not be so uh, conflicted about what's happening and understanding like their level and what they're thinking for the long term. But she helped me see that side of it. And so often enough, I like talk to my director and she's just like, you really get it. You understand? I'm like, yeah, but I also have a coach who's helped me get to this point because I probably felt the same a different way a year ago. Um, and lastly, through my women's organization that I found when I was early on networking is someone who doesn't even work in the tech space anymore. She has owned businesses outside of this world and is super involved with other ventures and just seeing like her being able to come from Cisco and work for these IBMs and work for these other companies and to continue to climb the ladder and her ownership of her own destiny is just like so empowering. And it's, it gives me a perspective of like most people feel trapped in their work right? Like they just do it because that's what they're supposed to do. But her lens is like, I do what I want to do because this is what I'm passionate about. And these are the things that it helps me get, whether that's a financial network or opportunities, but there is more to just work than just work. And I, and I, I, I think she's super inspiring. And on all of these uh, mentors, by the way, have been through networks. I didn't just yeah. find these people out of the blue. Like I was a part of a group and there were people willing to raise their hand to say, I'm willing to talk to you and spend time with you to help you develop your career. What would you recommend to be like, you're, you're a mentee to these people. What's a good mentee? Like what's a, what are good habits and practices for good mentees? Yeah. Uh, consistency. I think it's important mm -hmm. to, if you're going to, if you're going to coach someone, you need to be present. 
And we have all have busy lives, but this is something that you signed up for. So that commitment to this person needs to be just as important as anything else on your schedule because they're trying to figure it out. And you're also being an example of who they who they should be. Right. So making sure you're showing up for them the best ways possible, listening, active listening. I think that's super important. Really hear them out on what's really happening for them. Um, And being able not necessarily always to find a solution, but sometimes just listen and ask them, do they want your opinion? Because yes, you're a mentee, but you don't have to resolve everybody's problems. You know, maybe giving them the the curiosity of like, hey, I, I read this book and this gave me some perspective. Like maybe you should read that and let's talk about what you learned from it rather than giving them the answers. Because if you can teach people how to hunt, some of these things won't even be an issue anymore. They can figure out for themselves how to cope in this space. And I think that that's super important. I, I, for all the males listening that are in relationships, that was a huge thing you just said, <laughs> yes. which is you don't always have to have an answer. Sometimes you just yeah, trust me. I'm, I'm almost I'm almost forty. It took me till now to realize like I don't always need to answer the question. Sometimes you just need to be there to listen, right? <laughs> My favorite one is like all you need to do is say, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. "How can I help? How can I help?" And it's like I don't want you to help us much. Oh. This is great. I know I'm going to continue this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you mentioned your uh, your volleyball coach, I immediately my father coached high school hockey for 30 years, and I, I when I was younger, I hated it because he was he's a he's a tough like he's a tough cookie, right? Um, so when I, when I would run into his old players in their early 20s, they were like, "Your dad's an your dad's an asshole," right? And mm-hmm. then. You find out, you see those same kids now that were, you know, almost 40. A lot of them have their own kids that are growing up playing sports. Everybody has something positive to say about my dad because now they're looking back at how he was to them, being tough on them. And now it's a, in a positive light. It's it's crazy how that changes over time as you mature as a person, right? Yeah, you start to realize that it wasn't them necessarily challenging you about what you were just challenged by the situation at the time, right? Was it actually the right thing to do? Was it the right thing to say? Are you doing it your very, very best? And most of the time, most of us will say, no, I wasn't. But it just didn't feel good to be told that in the moment. And I thought I knew everything. But now as an adult, you kind of have this different frame of mind and time that is giving you perspective to say like, my toughest coach, oh, oh, it was hard. It was hard. I was tough on the court, right? But discipline, dedication, and determination are things that he taught me. He taught me early is on time, on time and late, and late is never acceptable. But these little things were planted seeds over the years from this guy that I was just like, oh, this is like ridiculous. And then when I say them out loud, I'm like, I've been Ezra. That's what I called it. He was one of my basketball coaches. But it's so true. And those are things that actually matter, not just in sports, but in life. And those are the coaches that I think matter because they give you things that you can use, not just on the court, but throughout your life. Oh, so, so true. Um, so last couple of questions, Portia, we always ask our, our guests, what's, what's, a, what's a skill that you've developed in sales that really makes you elite? What's, what's yours? I, w- I would say this was part sales, part teaching. Because I had a sales job before I was a teacher. And I often say, like, I'm a good teacher because I went to sales first. And then when I came back to sales, I was like, I'm a great sales leader now because I was a teacher first. And I think that's EQ. I think EQ is is the thing that I have that gives me edge and leverage and the ability to coach people no matter where they're at. And it's because I can read 
them very well. I have the, I've been in their shoes, you know, I've been in other areas of life and it, it gives me that perspective to be able to look at it, not from the short-sighted or one-sided perspective, gives me a whole viewpoint of who they are as a person. And I, I use that EQ to coach the person where they're at. And I think that that's something that's super important that doesn't always happen, especially in sales. Yeah, EQ. I mean, that's 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 a first of all an awesome trait to have, and that's why you're a leader, right? That's that's the most important characteristic to have as a leader, I think. Yep. Um, all right. So we growing up, my dad used to tell us, right? Like, there's a lot of people that play hockey, but there's not a lot of hockey players. Meaning, like, are you like living it? Are you a, are you a professional? Like, is this what you're going to do? And we think the highest praise you can give a salesperson is calling them a pro. What does that what does that mean to you? What does it mean being a pro in sales? What does that mean to you? Yeah, you're not just showing up for the job. You have the business acumen, you have the investment, you have the curiosity that is going to take you so beyond sales because of it that it just makes you better in sales. Right? We want we aim we're aiming for better lives at the end of the day. Like this is an this is an opportunity to have a career that's going to additionally support your life. And if you show up with that business acumen, that attention to detail and curiosity, like that's what makes you a pro. 100%. Sky's the limit when you bring that to the table, right? Mm-hmm. I love it. Portia, this, this is going to be required listening for our candidates. This was an unbelievable conversation. Thank you so awesome. much yeah, for no joining worries. us. This was, this was fantastic. I really do appreciate it. And to give you guys a little bit of backstory, if you have, I have the moment, is like I reached out to you and just said how you really stood out to me on a on a podcast that I listened to and I just as a former athlete it was awesome and refreshing to hear a perspective of someone who came from that world but also has changed their lives with sales and this was just literally like a prospecting thing and it was more or less of just saying thank you for sharing that I just want to connect with you and follow you and you're just like you're awesome. So for folks out there, like I mentioned, shoot your shot. Like this was just mutual connection of me just sharing admiration that turned into me actually having my first podcast experience. So I really do appreciate that opportunity. Well, I, I don't think this will be your last Porsche. You're going to be getting hit up. You're a great guest. Well, thank you so much, JR. It was awesome being here and I appreciate the time. Yeah. And I'm grateful I get to follow you. Can't wait. If you need a quote for the back of power of no, let me know. I'll, I'll, Ugh, I'll give you a quote. I mean, for the book. I mean, it's starting <laughs> now. You got it formulated in my brain. So now I got to like really dig into this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Porsche. Have a great day. Hey, you guys too. Bye-bye. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.